Hello, and this is Films for the Very First Time. Just wanting to intro the episode here as you're about to hear some very bad singing for about 15 to 20 seconds for our theme song, which is a parody of Feels Like the First Time by Foreigner. So uh, if you don't want to hear bad singing, just skip the 30 seconds button uh, and you'll be introduced to the episode proper. If you're open to hearing my terrible singing, uh, just keep listening. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Hello and welcome to Films for the Very First Time. My name is Jordan, and with me, as always, is Casey McGeorge. Oh, how's it going, everybody? Going good. We are we're done the behemoth that is the Lord of the Rings extended editions, as today's episode is all about that Return of the King extended edition. My friends. Uh, so very excited to talk about this one. Uh, I watched it over the course of two days. Uh, I watched some on Friday and the rest yesterday. Uh, I know you watched it earlier than you usually do. We had to prepare. Um, but yeah, so we're talking Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, which released December 17th, 20, uh, 2003 in the United States. Budget of $94 million, box office $1.148 billion, directed by Peter Jackson, screenplay by Fran Walsh, Philippa Bowens, and Peter Jackson, based, of course, on The Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien, and starring our all-star cast of Elijah Woody and McKellen, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, John Reese davies Bernard Hill, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, Miranda Otto. David Wenham, Carl, Carl Urban, John Noble, Andy Serkis, Ian Holm, and Sean Bean makes a short appearance in, in this one. Uh, again, this is a third part of a trilogy, so we don't really need to go into what uh, I liked about this movie or why I picked this film, so we can kind of just start diving into the actual movie but i have a question for you okay, uh, you said ahead. you took note this time of yes. where the first disc ended so where did the first disc end the appearance of the wolf's head that's interesting was that like the most he said like bring out the wolf's head or whatever and yeah the battering i think they just yeah, they they just show it real quick, and then it's like the movie continues on this too. Okay. Yeah, so that's gotta Which be like the, so far. Like, you think so? I, it sounds like the most like abrupt part out of the first, out of the other three other two movies, right? Considering where disc two picks up, like the scenes right after that, where it picks up, that's probably the best. the The only other uh, portion would maybe be the scene I. Uh, I think the scene after that, I'm trying to think of what it was. Um, 
because it takes a while to go back to the wolf's head. Uh, I think there's something with uh, Gandalf or something right after that. And then... Man, I, 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 know the, I know the two scenes right after that were... Like, one was kind of inconsequential. And then right after that one, there was something with uh, Smeagol. Um, so, like, maybe they could have stopped it right before the scene with Smeagol. Whatever he was doing, I forget what it was. I probably should have took note of that, but it, it seemed like a decent place. Plus, I think it was like halfway through like four hours or close enough halfway through four hours to 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 say, okay, go take a pee break and, and come on back. Yeah, that's the one thing we haven't talked about so far on this. This is the longest of the three and actually has the shortest credits, too. I double-checked because I thought... It says four hours, 23 minutes. I think the other ones have been like 28 minute credits or close to 30 minutes. And this movie ends at 4.01, I believe. So only 22 yeah. minutes of credits. Yes, yeah, so I, I think I, I saw that too. It was because uh, as it was getting close to the end, I kept looking at the timer to see how much time was left or how much credits were left. Uh, one thing to talk about before the movie starts, 11 Academy Awards. Now, yep. not saying they didn't deserve them. Um, I, I looked up the Academy Awards that year to see like what was, what else was nominated. Um, at least to me, it wasn't like a banner year at the Academy Awards that year. It was like Mystic River. Um, there was a uh, um, movie from, uh, which might have been Mystic River from. Uh, Clint Eastwood, um, like Renee Zellweger won uh, like a Best Actress Academy Award. Um, that was the year's Charlie Starin won for Monster, mm. uh, the biopic of uh, Eileen Warnos. And it, 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 I also thought too, I mean, they, they won in a lot of technical categories, which by all means, except for a couple scenes, which I could tell were very obvious, green screen, as they're like walking up to Mount Doom. Yeah. But then again, it's not like they can just walk up like an actual like volcanic mountain, right? While they're filming that. But uh, you know, on a technical level, like they won a lot of those. Master Commander was also a big winner from a technical level for a couple. Um, there wasn't like so Johnny Depp was actually nominated that year for Curse of the Black Pearl, which I didn't know until I looked that up yesterday. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I did not know that. Um. I didn't see any like acting awards for anybody for the four oh. categories, which maybe because it's an ensemble cast and the movie cuts between stories so often and you're going from here to there and then back over here and then over to these people and then Liv Tyler's only in the movie for like 30 minutes in like 18 hours, which was kind of, kind of weird, but okay, whatever, like. Maybe maybe she had some other commitments and they filmed all her scenes at once and, and she shuttled off from New, England, uh, New Zealand. But yeah, there was like no acting awards. Like Peter Jackson obviously got Best Director because it swept all 11 it was nominated for. Uh, got Best yeah. Picture, which I get. But then I was like, how come there was no acting awards for this, for this, this movie? Especially since it seemed like, not to take anything away, it seemed more like a, a culmination award for... 
Peter Jackson and the crew and everything. Uh, I think it was. That... I think it was seen as that, and it probably was that. Like, if we're gonna give these movies the awards, we're gonna give it on the third one type of thing. That's kind of how it felt. Because I, I didn't look to see what the other two were nominated for, but especially on a, like a technical level, since I think they all three were filmed at the same time, right? Or at least the first one, and then the back two might have been filmed like right after that. Something close to that aspect. Um, I can't imagine there was a lot of technical stuff that was elevated from like, uh, from like Re- Lord of the, uh, Re- the 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 Rings. Uh, what was the first one called? Fellowship of the Ring. Fellowship of the Ring to Return of the King. So I can't imagine they did a ton technologically different. But here, here, here's the Academy Awards for Fellowship of the Ring. It won cinematography. It won best makeup and best original score. It was nominated and best visual effects. So it won four awards. It was nominated for best picture, best director, best supporting actor, Ian McKellen. Uh, best adapted screenplay, oh, wow. best art direction, uh, best costume design, best film editing, best original song, and best sound, and it did not win those. I didn't know Ian McKellen had a, a nomination for that. Uh, for the first one, yeah. Well, I mean that that's good, but let me see if I can find the. Uh... Two Towers, if it was nominated for... I mean, I'm sure it was nominated, but... Let's see what the Two Towers won. Um, so Two Towers won Best Sound Editing, Best Visual Effects. It was only nominated for six. Best Picture, Best Art Direction, Best Film Editing, Best Sound. And it did not win those four. And then... Uh, oh, I think I remembered what... Uh, another scene they probably... They might have been able to cut at was... Remember in uh, Fellowship of the Ring, we we talked about uh, uh, who's the other wizard there? Damn it, Saruman. Can't remember. Yeah, who played Saruman? Um, uh, Christopher Lee. Yeah, Christopher Lee. When we talked about the story about when he said he when he got stabbed in the back, and Peter yes. Jackson wanted like all this flailing, and the, you know the whole story of do you know what it sounds like? Because I do. I think that was one of the first ones, first scenes where uh, this two picked up. Because, uh, like, it wasn't too long after I started this two, I was like, oh, okay. What was that disc one? That's disc one. It's yeah, very what? early in the movie. Yeah. Very yeah, okay. early. You know what? Yeah. yeah. That, that, that was. It was very early. Because I was like, I, I remember starting and I was like, okay, we have an answer to what it actually, what sound they actually went with. And it was the, <laughs> gas. it was just he gets stabbed in the back and, and gasping for air. And he got a pretty violent death. Like, he just got shoved oh, off yep. the, the tower and just, that was it. It was like, whoa, dude. That, by the way, is only in the extended edition. Which, the whole scene or? Yeah, Saruman's The violent death. death or the whole the whole death or just from, or just him getting, like, crushed on the wheel or whatever. No, from what I remember, it's it's the whole scene. Wow. I know, uh. So one thing I could have done, I just realized after I put in uh, disc one yesterday and I was looking through the little insert that comes with it, with each with each uh, box mm-hmm. for each disc, it actually, you know, because it shows like disc one, disc two, disc three, four, five, and then it shows like what's on each one. 
And then for like uh, disc one and two are the are the movies. Yeah. And it gives you like the name of the scene, and you know, so there was actually a notation in there that actually had like a star for like this is an extended scene. Uh, oh, okay. And I have it another, on another another one I have for the like this is too. a completely new scene that that said like oh this is a completely new scene you know for the extended editions. I could have done all that, but I didn't realize until I looked yesterday, and I was like, eh, I didn't do it for the other two, so we're just going to skip over. I have a website that tells me, so that says, new scenes, the voice of Saruman, scene number four of the movie. I'm definitely, I think that's the one uh, where he dies. Yeah, that was, that, yeah, that was pretty early, so I was like, yeah. wow, that, okay, I have my answer to what scene they were in, okay. There's only four new scenes in disc one, and then the rest are all extended scenes. And then new scenes in disc two, we actually have 10, 10 new scenes in disc two. Um, what's the, what's wow. the, what's the first scene on disc two? It says it's called the Corsairs of Umbar. I have no clue what any of that means. Let me see. See. Um. Oh, okay, so this is the scene where. Okay, so the first scene is those boats with Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas on the shore. Oh and, yeah, where they where he, yeah, yeah. he gets the ghosts or whatever the ghost people or whatever. And that's attack. a new scene. That is a new scene. Okay. Yeah. So the, uh, what's what's the scene after that? Because I was thinking they could have stopped after that scene because that would have been a good kind of like a good actiony way to end on and then the next one I think was starting up with uh something with Schmeagle. Oh, you're muted. Hey, you're muted. I can't hear you. All right, there we go. Sorry my mouse was taking a while to drag over there too. Um scene 38 is the first uh, is the next scene after the boat scene but it doesn't tell me what scene 38 is called because it's not new or extended so uh, probably something with Smeagol like you said yeah but like I said uh, that that could have been a good way after like the ghosts come out and attack all the people on the boats like that could have been another good uh, you know ending scene mm-hmm. to like okay let's go on to this too because it kind of it kind of get it. It gives a little more suspense, but I, I kind of get why they went with the first one. At least seeing this big wolf, fire breathing wolf door banger thing, and you're like, okay, that's kind of intimidating. And then yeah, yeah. All right, so that was uh, yeah, won lots of awards. This was I think tied now for like the most awards with Titanic or something. Yeah, Titanic, and there was like one other one other movie from like back in the day um, that had that like had 11 awards or something, which like I said, I I get maybe it probably was, it it can be, they looked at maybe like a culmination of doing all of that. Um, But I also get like their makeup and stuff was great. But when I looked at like the nominations, because especially back then they were only doing like three or four, maybe five nominations per category. They weren't doing a ton. Now I think they're up to like eight or nine or 10 or something, but back I think then it's 10 it. now. Yeah. And it used to they be five like, or something. Yeah. Four or five or six, somewhere in that range was pretty short. Um, 
So I just looked and there wasn't much during that whole thing that kind of was like, I looked at at least for me where I was like, oh, like that could have won best picture. And I was just like, yeah, no, that, that, that. Like, yeah, yeah, I can see why this won a lot. Maybe, I guess some years there's just not a, like heavy hitters at, at, at those things. Some years you can just like, obviously the year Titanic came out. You, you like, you can just cancel Christmas. Like, you know. <laughs> um. All right. So also just want to share this too. This is my, this is my ticket from... <laughs> When I went to see it, I didn't realize I saw it so much later than opening. I saw it like about 10 days later on uh, Christmas holiday break, the 27th of 03 at six uh, at, at seven o'clock. We bought the ticket at 637, I guess. But this was at a uh, AMC in Towson, which I don't even think $8. exists anymore. Eight dollars. Yeah. Movie yeah, for an eight o'clock Saturday show, that's pretty good. And I, I don't think they had like what is what is AMC's like premium theater thing called now? Uh, X. No, what is it? Uh, I think they have. No, IMAX. I think it might. I think it might be the X. That's Cinemark has XD or something, yeah. but AMC is I think just IMAX. But yeah, I don't. I don't think back then they had. Well, I, I, don't they have their own? Because IMAX is very picky about. You need like certain. Mm-hmm. Like one, I think it even has to be filmed with like IMAX cameras. Because I think I remember somebody. Uh, maybe it was. Maybe it was uh, something they filmed for the Dark Knight. Um, somebody said when Nolan brought out the IMAX cameras for that, like they were so loud when they were filming stuff because the cameras are so big and need so much things for them or whatever. But, um, I mean, maybe it's different now, but especially back then it was, uh, like you have to use like certain cameras in order to be able to get IMAX stuff. So I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find if I can, I'm just, I'm just clicking a movie and trying to find if there's a premium (laughs) format for any of these, um, movies. Let's see which ones that uh, like a new movie that would have good screens right now. Yeah, I don't know. Mine just says Exorcist. digital. That's what I clicked. Uh, uh, but some of these, there's not a lot of good movies out right now. I guess so. All I keep seeing is like digital. I don't see any like premium. Let's t- click the Taylor Swift movie. <laughs> Dolby Cinema. One. They have Dolby Cinema there. And they have IMAX at one of my local ones. But all I see is digital, Dolby, and IMAX. So I guess they don't have like their own brand unless if it's one of these digital ones. Anyway, yeah, eight dollars, good, good ticket. That's what I pretty much pay now when I get matinees. I'll go like, yeah. I'll go to like eight a.m. I mean, not eight a.m. showings. I'll go to like before noon showings, and I'll usually be paying like eight dollars uh, for stuff. So, okay, so this movie starts off a little interesting way here, right? We have the Andy Circus not on motion cap here, as he is uh, a Hobbit. 
and uh, fishing with his cousin Deagle. And is that what he was? I didn't know he was a hobbit. I couldn't figure out just because he was. He looked like a strung out heroin addict. Like <laughs> you think so? Before even before the ring, you think he looked like a heroin addict? He, he I mean, like I said, the makeup was great, but it looked like maybe, or maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe on his way to being strung out, but I, like I, I wasn't totally sure. And I'll admit I hadn't thought of up until that point of, hey, how did Smeagol get the ring in the first place? Yeah, that he he started out as a hobbit, uh, and then becomes when he gets corrupted by the ring here as he kills his cousin for it with his bare hands too, like chokes him out, jeez. Good setup too for the rest of the movie because we kind of see the scene replayed from different, like another perspective again when it's like Frodo and Smeagol fighting off and then they're both trying to choke each other. Like it's kind of like a little bit of a mirror. Um, did this, uh, did this shock you at all? Where you're like, oh my god, we're getting like the backstory of Smeagol here to start off because I remember being a kid watching this and I was like, wow, okay, we're seeing like. At first, you're like, "What? What are we seeing?" Because we didn't know who Andy Circus looked like really back then, you know. Yeah, and then he talks, no... and you're like, "Oh, okay, it's Smeagol." I, I, it was shocking, but it was in a good way. Like I said, up until that point, it never occurred to me to think of, "Hey, how did Smeagol come in contact with the ring in the first place? Like, what is, what is the story of that? Like, where did he get it? How did he come in contact with it? What happened? You know." Um, I think, did they, did they show the ring in the first movie getting in that river or pond or whatever? Yep. Yep. It's in the prologue. And it's also the, that same scene of hit of Deagle grabbing the ring out of the ground is reused mm-hmm. from the prologue as well. Okay. I was going to say, I remember something looking a little familiar, but I couldn't, uh, I I couldn't place anything where. Um, but yeah, I was like, okay, like this makes sense because we know what he's like now. We know the dude is crazy over the ring, but how, like, obviously we know the ring corrupts everybody, but it never occurred to me, like I said, until that scene to be like, oh, this is how, this is how we came in contact with it. This is how quickly he got corrupted by it. Cause it was quick. He got corrupted by it. He hadn't even touched it yet. Yeah. He just wanted to see it. Just the, the just the fact that his friend had it that made him decide, you know what, I'm gonna choke you with my bare hands. Like like if if I was listening to one of my true crime podcasts, they'd go off on a tangent about how like that's a very personal and intimate killing and like how it it actually takes a lot longer to strangle somebody with your bare hands than it, it does in movies. Like it takes like minutes and you actually have to put an effort into it and want to do it instead of just, you can't really say it was an accident. Yeah. So I was like, wow. Okay. Like I'll buy that scene. Like this is a good way to start. Yeah. And then we actually get to see like a physical golem before he transforms into the CGI golem where he's like climbing up the mountain. Um, apparently they have a sculpture or they did in 2013 of golem catching a fish at the Wellington airport in New Zealand. Uh, I see a picture of it here, but it was to release. Uh, it was for the Hobbit films being released. So I wonder if they still, if they still have it there or not. But 
It looks pretty cool. I just imagine like going to the airport and seeing a large smeagol hanging from the ceiling, grabbing a large fish. I, I would say they probably do because there's, I mean, we know this, this, this series and the books and now the movies have a huge fandom and that does bring some tourists and tourist dollars into New Zealand for that, which, Hey, I'm all for. That's great. Um, go for it. Uh, I would say as well, it's not worse than the evil horse outside of the Denver airport. <laughs> Have you seen I that? I don't one? know if I've seen that. No. <laughs> I mean, do I just search "evil horse outside Denver airport"? Uh, let me let me let me see here. How do I? I have it up. How do I? Uh, uh, put it in the the chat. Like, send me the link from the thing in the chat, and then I'll click it. Oh my god! I'll I'll share my screen. I guess. Hold on. This is great it's for the the, must- the YouTube the blue- watchers, but <laughs> it's called the Blue Mustang or Blucifer. Um. The Denver airport also has some really weird paintings and stuff inside it. And there's a ton of conspiracy theories about like, because they have a, uh, a subway that goes from a terminal to terminal and, and everything else. But there's this whole thing about like how like uh, the new world order was involved in, in the building of uh, the, the Denver airport. Cause it's also went like years and millions of dollars, like over budget. And there's like this oh, supposedly wow. underground like things there for like all these the rich and powerful people to go when the world ends. And then you look at some of the paintings inside and the, the artwork that they have put up inside the Denver airport. And you're like, who the hell decided like this was a good thing to put up? <laughs> and there's just some like if you look like you can go down a rabbit hole. It's weird. But so, I mean, I can see a Schmeagel at a at a. Is is that at the Auckland International Airport, or is that at like uh, a Wellington. smaller airport? I, okay, like I know, I think Auckland's the capital of New Zealand. I imagine Wellington's a uh, probably a, a town that's you know a little bit smaller, but still a major town. So yeah, I get that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's you know we start off with Smeagol. We get some big uh, Smeagol storylines there, and then we kind of cut back to uh, our characters that we know, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Gandalf, are going to Isengard. This is where they run into Merry and Pippin, who are smoking some tobacco as they are celebrating the victory over Isengard. We see a little bit of tree beard. Uh, and then we get that scene that you were talking about with Saruman and uh King Theoden talking Wormtongue into kind of betraying Saruman again, and then Legolas kind of just kills Wormtongue anyway. <laughs> feel sorry for him. Not really, but... Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I don't interesting. really feel bad for him. I mean... No, but it's like, all right, he's the one that just helped you. Well, you know, obviously they didn't want Saruman dead because Saruman was about to actually talk about what Sauron is actually trying to do here. And... Uh, so it kind of screwed up their whole their whole plans, but uh, yeah. And then, like you said, he falls off the, the tower and lands onto the spiky wheel, the water mill. 
That and, I mean, uh, with a thud, like that was one. That was one of those. Like I said, it was like I figured they'd just show it from above, and maybe you would just see like, oh, he falls, and maybe like you know, like a little small thing of like his body hitting the ground from above. But no, like they were just like, nah, we're gonna show this whole thing, and I was just like, whoa, that was like I'm not the death doesn't bother me, and you know, but yeah, I was just yeah. like, I, I I was not expecting that. I guess that's why it's in the extended, right? I guess these are not technically rated. Um, there's a few things that like my wife was like, are you going to finish watching it down here? And I was like, you know, and she would have stayed downstairs with me. She doesn't, she's never really seen these. She doesn't like gore or anything. She's like, it's not like they're gory. Right. And I said, well, where I left off, well, they just, you know, used a trebuchet, uh, a bunch of severed heads. And there's a big spider coming up, which she doesn't like spiders. So I was like, I think I'll watch it upstairs. Okay. So I got to say this. I, I imagine they might have got that from a historical thing. I don't know. Because uh, I would say if anybody who decided, uh, even if it was Tolkien and that was written in the books, which I imagine probably was because you said these are fairly faithful to the books. Um, uh, anybody who's writing that or coming up with that nowadays, uh, I think we need to go send them for some mental health help. <laughs> but... Dot dot dot, uh, dude, you like as I'm thinking as I was thinking about this, and you know, back back in the day, many 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 moons ago, when people used to line up for battles like that, and everybody would line up, and you would have these these lines, you know, and everybody's in the castle over here, and these people are over here, and they're getting ready to go face to face and start firing at each other, and you've already got you've already killed a bunch of their people, like. Yeah, that's probably one of the most evil things to do and one of the probably most intimidating things to do is like, you know what? We're not going to send any rocks at you at first. I'm going to send you back the severed heads of your buddies. And that's going to that's going to eliminate some of you right there cuz a bunch of you are going to be like, "You know what? I'm not really up for this anymore." So I was like, that probably happened historically somewhere I can imagine. Um if it didn't, I think we need to get whoever wrote it some help. But I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm behind that. That that's definitely an intimidating feature. Yeah, uh, there there are some things that are not as faithful in this. I would assume the heads are just made up for the film. Honestly, I I can't, uh, I can't recall. Obviously, I read I read these in like eighth or ninth grade. I I can't recall a hundred percent, but. Uh, it does seem just a little darker than what would have been in in the books. There are some things that are changed around. So I think people would probably kick me if I didn't mention this type of stuff. Sheolob's lair, the big spider, that's actually in the two towers uh, when we okay. talk about books. The spider has a name? Yeah, Sheolob. Yep. Why does the spider... Who names a spider? Oh no, they Why do mention the in the movie. They, they do mention in the movie the orcs are like, "Oh, Shelob's been hungry," and when they find Frodo, that's who they're referring to—the big, the big spider. Um. So, with that scene, I'll say I, I might have seen like a glimpse of it online or something here or there, but also as soon as as soon as they went into that cave or whatever, and I saw the spider webs, like. I, I don't know how other people felt, but I was like, oh, there's a spider coming up in this one. Like, there's <laughs> there's got to be a big spider. There was way too many spider webs 
just just visibly. And I was like, part of it, part of me was like, okay, maybe just because it's in a cave and maybe there's a lot of little spiders. But I was like, I can't remember if I've seen it before, like maybe in passing or just online or something. Right. I, I could have, so I might have had some sort of knowledge that I couldn't remember. Not not going to say I wasn't. But I was like, oh, yeah, there there's a big-ass spider coming somewhere in this one. Yeah, there was. Um, that is from the Two Towers. Uh, so is the Palantir subplot. So that's like the, the, the ball, you know, the glowing orb, bowling ball type thing that uh, Mary looks into. Uh, that, sorry, that Pippin looks into and that also um, Aragorn is going to speak the, into. The one that Saruman dropped and they had in the water yep. and they had to go down to get. Yeah, that's usually a plot in the two uh, towers. Uh, what what Jackson did is he realigned the events of the film to fit the timeline from the book's appendices. So in the back of Return of the King, there are appendices that have timeline, order of events, and all that kind of stuff. And instead of being instead of showing stuff in the order of the narrative from the from the books which, you know, were weaved in certain ways for however J.R.R. Tolkien was setting stuff up, he went by timeline order instead. So the Shelob events actually match up more with the stuff from Return of the King in that regard. Um, also, I would say, um, I something I thought of, when uh, in, in the very beginning when Smeagol and his buddy were fishing there, like, Obviously, they needed it to move the plot along to get to the ring, but like, why did his friend hold on to that fishing pole for so long in the water? Like, why didn't he let go of that thing? Like, so if if there's a fish big enough to drag me underwater, yeah, no thanks. um, One, one, I can't swim, so like, uh, like I'm I'm pretty much done. I can't swim very well, so that's not a good thing for me. Two, like, yo, if he if it's strong enough to take me down with it, like. I don't want to know what else is down there. Like, I'm going to, like, it's not going to end well for me one way or the other. Yeah, like Qui-Gon says in Phantom Menace, there's always a bigger fish, you know? So if there's a fish big enough to pull you, then there's a bigger one to eat that one. So uh, you got to be, you got to be careful. Uh, And also they, they kind of move around where Saruman's murder is because uh, they moved it into Isengard because uh, originally there is an event called the score, the scoring of the Shire, which is the actually the penultimate chapter of Lord of the Rings. But this is where the hobbits return home and find that the Shire is uh, like under a brutal control from their leader of uh, Sharky and Sharky is revealed to be Saruman actually at that point. But uh, they, uh, so here's the thing. Some people were very upset that this is taken out of the out of the movie because critics have considered this chapter to be the most important chapter of the Lord of the Rings. Um, Tolkien denies, though, that the chapter was an allegory for Britain in the aftermath of World War II. Uh, but that's why people say it is important, I guess, as they see it as like an allegory for you know Britain coming home from World War II and seeing you know some of the damage and stuff taking place there instead in this movie the shire is relatively untouched they get back there and you know start to live their lives pretty then, normally uh, quickly what well didn't they say it was like a year or so later they got back to the shire from when they uh, set out 
Yeah. It was 13. Yeah. He said 13, 13 months, months since they left. Yeah. So I also hadn't thought of the timeline either of how long these events take. Obviously, with movies, you can, you know, when you're doing a movie, you know, you don't, unless you're, unless you need to know the timeline, like it's not really, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, like time just moves and you get from point A to point B and so on and so forth. Um, so like, uh, like there's a John Mulaney comedy, uh, one of his things for a standup. He talks about how a lot of times, uh, they'll show time move because like somebody will get older and they'll need glasses now. Or like, you know, somebody has gray hair all of a sudden. So it shows you like time before. But I hadn't thought of how long this whole adventure had taken. Right. And then when they, in the end, when they talk about, you know, it was 13 months later, I was like, this took, this whole thing took over the course of a year. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, over a year. Um, let's see. I have, I have the map. Let, let me bring up this nice fancy map compared to my crude map here. All right. So I, I clicked Frodo and Sam's. So, uh, over here on the left is, uh, where they start in the Shire in book one and movie one going all the way. This is weather top here in the, uh, weather Hills. And that's where Frodo gets stabbed. Then they go to Rivendell where they have the journey, you know, like the, the council, they go through Moria down to Lorien. And, uh, you know, movie one ended here. We go into number two, Dead Marshes, down to Osgiliath, which is where their journey ended in the second film. And then in this one, they go through Minas Morgul, up these mountains, which is where, like, Shelob is, back down over to Mount Doom. And that's where... Frodo and Sam journey too. And they get to the end of this journey. Let's start with Frodo and Sam in this journey that we're talking about here. Uh, and we get to the end and, you know, they're relatively separated from everybody until the very end of the film. But uh, were, were you shocked at all? Have you been spoiled at all on the fact that Frodo almost didn't actually throw the ring in? Uh, no, because I think maybe in one of those like Watch Mojo listicles or something, it might have been up there. Or I might, I, I did, I have caught a glimpse of that at some point before. Um, so I had known that he, he changed his mind kind of at the last second and didn't want to throw the ring in. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know he put the ring on and, and then kind of went invisible. Um, I did know there was a fight between him and Schmeagel where he bit off his finger and then Schmeagel's death, where he, he technically had the ring and then fell into the lava and then, you know, died there and then the, the ring got melted there. So I, I've seen that in some way, shape, or form. It wasn't something I ever searched out. Like, it wasn't me like, oh, let me see what happens. It was just one of those. It probably, like I said, popped up on one of those, like, uh, watch mojo lists or top ten lists or something online where, you know, something in it, like as it's going from like 10 to 9 8 and it like it popped up on one of those and i was just like okay sure uh, so like i'm not gonna skip it just because it's lord of the rings and i didn't know what it was but i was just like yeah okay well number you know number six next okay what's that um 
so part of me wasn't surprised because I'd already seen it, but not knowing. Uh, part of me was kind of surprised because I'm like, dude, you made a whole big deal about this is your legacy. This is what you're supposed to do. Because Sam had taken the ring, we you know, before, and and then Sam kind of didn't want to give the ring back to him for a second. And Fergal talked about how this is his burden to carry, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that's a um, <laughs> you know, it's like at that last moment, as you know, I, I think what it's supposed to be is as of course you get closer and closer to you know, destroying the ring or at least getting it close to Sauron that it's going to corrupt you even more, you know? And, uh, at that point we, we kind of saw that with, uh, Isildur, you know, Aragorn's, uh, you know, uh, great, 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 whatever he is. And yeah, cause he was right how they, at the same, same, same spot. spot or close. Yep. Yeah. Where he decided same he devilish smile crossing his face. Like Frodo has when he's like, no, it's mine. <laughs> Um, was that is that in the books as well or yeah yeah well you mean like Isildur or the the, the, like, the fact that Frodo decided at the last minute he didn't want to throw it in and then there was a fight between him and Shmi yeah I, I believe so something... I don't think that is I don't think it's any different um let's see uh, I'm trying to see if I can find anything about that uh, okay, so Gollum's fall into the lava was rewritten for the film as the writers felt. So apparently, he just slipped and and fell. Uh, originally, uh, originally they were going to write that Frodo would push Gollum over the edge to destroy him and the ring, but it looked like <laughs> they said it would look like it's that Frodo's murdering Gollum. So instead, they have them struggle for possession of the ring. And so originally, I guess yes, he does say. Like it's mine, and then Gollum comes out, and then Gollum gets it, and then just slips and falls in. But then they thought that was a little anticlimactic, so they spruce it up a bit with them struggling for it to go, and then going over the edge. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that. Um, I wouldn't. I, I can I can understand like him just slipping and falling in is anticlimactic, and people would have been people who hadn't read the books who would know that follows the books would be like really like. That's like that's how he gets his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole aspect of um, him murdering him—maybe that's that's it's a little too far. I don't know. I'm not gonna say it's not, but uh, that, that probably went with the best idea visually for a movie version of the storytelling. Um, except if this were not something that was already a book, right? Um, you know, we talked about on your on, on our other podcast. You, you uh, you're talking about like for Star Wars, like what kind of uh, post credit scene would they have? Like there would have been a post credit scene of like either that ring popping up and not melting in the lava or something, or like <laughs> or like Schmeagel's hand popping up or, or something like that. There right, right. Post credit scene, but um, probably because the stories are already written, they really can't they they really can't do that one. So. Yeah, and uh, you know one of the my favorite bits I think of this whole storyline is really how Sam, if Sam hadn't ever followed Frodo originally, he's kind of like the unsung hero a, a bit here. Everybody kind of gives Frodo his his due, but I'm going to give Sam Wise his due here because this you know, Frodo does not 
destroy the ring without Sam, you know? Uh, he he, he saves died somewhere in the middle of like the first movie without Sam. Yep, yep. I mean, especially like even in this movie, you get you know Frodo is really buying into what Smeagol was saying. Sam definitely knew something was up. Smeagol tries to make it look like Sam ate the rest of the bread, and then you know Sam gets told to go home, but he decides to go back and he saves Frodo from the spider. He's also going to say to him, you know, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you, you know, and he, he takes them all the way up there pretty much. And, uh, he, he lays it on the line for Frodo, uh, constantly. So I, I really, Sam's one of my favorite characters and I'm very sad. He usually doesn't get much of his due. I would definitely say Sam is probably the MVP. Um, no, no issue there. My, my only issue that I had is at the end when they're going back to the Shire, right? They get back there. Now, obviously, all, I think at least three, if not, at least, at least not Sam and Frodo, but at least uh, Mary and Pippin have been known to be like troublemakers back in the Shire mm-hmm. or whatever. So people didn't really like them. So the grumpy old man there was like sweeping his sports, gives them like the mean, mean mugs them as they're walking in. Yeah, while they're all um, decked out in all these nice clothes now from... <laughs> celebrate have these have the stories and the have, have these things not made it back to the shire of the things that they went through and what's happened so like really these like has this is yeah i think the back? like i think the shire is pretty isolated it, it is the thought here so they until these people are gonna tell it or until i guess frodo's book gets published right i i think yeah i think most people there don't really understand what they've done or you know what they've sacrificed um yeah i think the way i kind of look at it is almost like if you're a hot shot on your college campus type thing and then you go back to your hometown and you weren't popular there or something and nobody everybody's gonna treat you the same way they treat you because they have no clue what growth or stuff you've done elsewhere and i feel like that's you know, these people just saved the whole world and this grumpy guy sweeping is like, get off my lawn type of guy. These kids, these kids are back. Damn it. Like, yeah, I thought we were rid of them. <laughs> yeah. The town's been so peaceful for the last year without these guys here. Yeah. Sam becomes mayor though. I mean, that's in Frodo's book there. And I, it is one of the actual storylines in, in the book, but yeah, Sam uh, becomes mayor so I'm sure well, everyone will Sam, know. I don't think Sam was like, he wasn't known as like a troublemaker though. Man, he's just marrying people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess they associate with them, right? So that guy's probably like, mm, all four of them? I, I Okay, I, I'll buy that. Guilty by association. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll accept that. Um, Yeah, so we had, uh, this, this was like close to four hours this time. Like I said, 401 or something. This is the longest of the three. So I, I kind of hinted at this over time where I've said it before, you know, how my theater was always like almost groaning each time it kept going. Uh, it wasn't obviously this long in, in theaters, but I think the part now that really showed me like, okay, this is where they started getting a little restless is there's like about three fade to black and a fade to white. So all four of those times people thought, <laughs> this okay, movie's over. And then it came right back from the fade. And they're like, oh, okay, movie is not over. Um, 
so yeah that's that's the uh that's the part i was referring to it's like fades the white i think when they get picked up by the eagles and then you have a fade the black when they're resting again like frodo wakes up and everyone sees them you have another fade to black i think sometime when they're in the shire and then you have like the final fade when uh you know sam goes home uh finally so yeah people that were holding their bladders were like oh my god <laughs> uh the the scene that really gets me to it uh kind of an aragorn scene but sticking with frodo and sam and these characters is uh th- this scene actually made me tear up this time and i knew it was coming but i don't know why it got me so much this time but when they're crowning Aragorn and all that, and then he comes to the four hobbits, and then they're about to bow, yeah. and he's like, "No, you guys bow to no one." Just really got me choked up this time. I don't, I don't know what about it, but you know what? It, it did for me as well. Um, so obviously, I don't know much about the history. I'm guessing hobbits were not known as fighters, right? No, like they, no. They, weren't, they weren't. Um, they weren't involved in many wars. I mean, in all fairness, when you're only half the size of a normal dude. Like, unless you're, uh, you know, with the exception of the uh, the dwarves, which are known as like fighting peoples, right? You know, they're they're built a little stockier, and, and you know, they'll they'll tear you up. But you know, I'm guessing the hobbits are pretty peaceful people. Um, so I don't know. That got me too for a second, just because like I get it. He was crown king, so they're showing the proper respects to him. But because of I mean, for all we know, these might be the only four hobbits that have ever done anything like that. Like, any, especially as far as like fighting and putting their lives on the line for other races or creatures and things. You know, um, especially at these stakes. Yes, I mean, Bilbo was pretty famous for doing stuff in the Hobbit, but like with the stakes of the world, yeah, yeah, these are the only four. But especially like Merry and Pippin were trying to actually fight throughout their adventures and people would kept pushing them away and telling them no, um, didn't want them to fight. And then eventually like, it just came down to it where they were just like, well, like, you know, they had to like hide and, and find their ways. And and and, you know, it, like at one point, even one of the guys tells them like, no, you're staying here. Like you're going to be a burden and I don't have the people to look after you. Like, so, I mean, they're overlooked at all, but, and they, 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 they fought, you know, shoulder to shoulder with these guys. Like they, they were willing to die just as everyone else was, right? Um, like especially Mary and Pippin. Like they, you know, uh, Aragon was the first one to go towards. Uh, he went running towards uh, whatchamacallit, um, where where uh, Sauron was, and then yeah. I think Mary and Pippin were like right behind him. Yeah, um, I love that scene too because then they get they're just slower because they have smaller feet, like smaller legs. And yeah. They get, and they get, they get run by everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but like, yeah, all, you know, Aragon's like, all right, I guess we're doing this and let's go. And he charges off, and you get like the two the two hobbits who are like, all right, well, no turning back now. Let's do this. And then like, so part of it's got to be like motivating everybody else. Part of it's got to be deflating, like. Oh, so these hobbits are willing to like go do this? Like, damn it! Like, there's no way I can turn back now. Like, right, I gotta right, go yeah. do I can't this. Get, right, <laughs> I can't let I, them I can't go. Turn, I can't turn around and let yeah. two hobbits <laughs> run up to go fight. 
So like you have you have absolutely no choice now. It's just like, all right, well now I gotta go. The damn two hobbits ran in front of me, so well I guess this is where I die. And that's like why everybody said, bypasses just, them. They're like, ah oh, crap, like we gotta catch up now. <laughs> well, that in effect, like you said, it's kind of like Michelle from Full House, where it's like, like I'm surprised that hasn't been turned into a meme of like, wait for me, I have little legs because <laughs> yeah. that's a perfect one. Yeah. But uh, that 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 scene got me. I got a little choked up, and the the scene right before the end where uh, Frodo gets on the boat because I didn't quite I didn't understand what was going on, so I had to pause it, and I had to like Google it, and then I found uh, on the there was a I think it's the oh one of the Lord of the Rings or like the Turn of the King subreddits or something I don't know I'm sure there's a bunch of them, but somebody yeah. like somebody like asked the question. And was like, hey, I'm new to the fandom. Like, can somebody please explain this to me? Like, why is Frodo leaving? Like, why does he have to leave? And somebody, like, the one of the first answers, I guess, then out of the top answer, broke it down in the best way possible. Like, basically, from all the trauma he suffered, like, it's the only way he needs to get his mind and his body and his mental health right and get right emotionally. And then where the elves are going is kind of like heaven. And I was like, okay, I kind of get that. Like, Especially like I get I get Bilbo has to go. He's like six hundred years old at this point. Um, especially since he aged since he gave the ring up. He aged horribly. Yeah, after giving that yeah. ring up. Oof. But uh, he he should have been dead a while ago. But the ring kept him going. But then I was even I was kind of like Bilbo, and then I felt bad for Sam. Like whoa, dude. Like no, you don't get to go after everything I did to get you up that damn mountain. Like no, you you got to stay here, man. But. Yeah, because I so the place they're going to is Valinor, also known as the Undying Lands, and for elves, it's mostly like, yeah, it's kind of like a step to heaven. They will they will live there for a long time, and then they can pass on to like the next journey of life. Men and hobbits will still die there, but they will live longer, and actually, it'll take a lot of Frodo's pain away. And like he mentioned to Sam, with the it's been four years since Weathertop at the point at the end of the epilogue type thing where he got Weathertop, stabbed and that? it, okay. uh, that's where he got stabbed. Yeah. And he says it hasn't really healed correctly. So uh, he, he's probably going to have a much nicer plus he, you know, he did everything. He's at the Shire. He's probably having trouble adjusting after all the stuff he saw. He, lost he doesn't have any one the way Sam does. Sam's getting yeah, married. He lost the finger. He lost the finger from, from Schmeagle. How how could he not? I mean, okay, obviously now you look at it where it's like, especially after the tales go back, like, yeah, there might be a bunch of women around. Like, you might be able to coast off that for a little while, but like, you haven't found anybody over there? Like, what's what's going on? What happened, man? But I, I kind of get that. Plus, like, anytime he sees a spider, like, he'd probably freak out. <laughs> so, yeah. just mentally, emotionally. Yeah, like, I, I, like after, after they explained all that kind of, I was like, okay, I kind of get that. Like yeah, he needs to he needs to move away and just kind of like figure something else out. But yeah, so, so go ahead. Uh, the books are those were those the actual titles of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings when Tolkien actually wrote them. Uh, I yeah, Hobbit is also called uh There and Back Again, and um. Uh, Lord of the Rings is just called Lord of the Rings. Yeah. 
Oh, so it wasn't because didn't he? Wasn't it like the Fellowship of the Ring was what Frodo wrote for his portion when he wrote Lord of the Rings? No, he just wrote Lord of the Rings in the book that he had there. I, I could have swore there was something else with it. I mean, I'm sure you're probably right. I might be messing that all up completely. Yeah, I, I I think they're a little like I, I'm trying to remember and I'm trying to find it here on the thing, on the no, website. You're right. It's just Lord of the Rings. You're right. It but, is just Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Why yeah, I'm trying to think if like in the book, in the books themselves, I don't know if they actually gave them those names. I think that might be, um, just a nod to it because in the books it's called the Red Book of Westmarch, which is the manuscripts written by the hobbits. Uh, which collect the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings events. Um, but, uh, okay, here's what the books are called in the books, it sounds like. Uh, there and Back Again and The Downfall of the Lord of the Rings is what it's called. Yeah. The Downfall of the Lord of the Rings and The Return of the King is the title that Frodo writes in the book. In the books, not in the movie. Yeah. The movie made the nice little nod of just being like, all right, we're just going to call it what the movie's called. And, uh, okay, that there makes you go. sense. Uh, yeah, so then that's that's kind of like Frodo and Sam's journey at this point. Um, I want to share, let me re-present here. This is Aragorn's uh, real quick before well while that's coming up so Pippin and Mary are they still troublemakers for the rest of their life do they get their lives back together do they become adults or does it not say like what their journey after all of this is uh so Pippin inherited his father's title of master of Buckland um he still has his adventurous spirit and uh he so he's still a little shit basically uh, that's, if you want to read it that way, yes. He even goes to Rivendell a couple times. Um, when he and Mary die, they are buried beside their friends, Arag- Arag- Aragorn and Arwen in Minas Tirith. Um, okay. That, yeah. yeah, they deserve that. Uh, while Legolas and Gimli make promises in the books to show uh, the other important places to them, Gimli shows Legolas the caverns of Aglarond, which... Legolas is stunned by, according to Wikipedia. And then they walk in the Fangorn Forest, um, and they make their way to Isengard, where they bid farewell to the Fellowship, and then they each go back to their own land. So Gimli uh, even finds his own dwarven colony in the Glittering Caves, and uh, they reunite with help uh, to help rebuild and improve Minas Tirith, and they are the last of the Fellowship to sail for Valinor, departing after the death of their friend Aragorn. And Legolas builds a ship for he and Gimli to sail there. So uh, and Frodo actually is deputy okay. mayor until he goes back and goes to Valinor. So. so those two at least still stayed friends. Yes. Yep. They stay friends. Uh, they They continue their... Uh, their body battle count. for body count. Yeah, I love that scene when he takes down the the elephant, and then he's like, "That still only counts as one." <laughs> yeah, and it, and 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 Legolas is is up there, and he's he's counting like one by one 
after yeah, like, cause 50, I think they 60, skipped 60. over that. I, I think they skipped over that completely in like uh, the two towers. Like I don't think that was mentioned at all. I think that was or what? Yeah, when did it start? Did that start in Fellowship or that? Start it started in two, in towers? two towers. It started in two towers. Okay. The only the you only get maybe two scenes of it in two towers in the theatrical edition. The extended edition has that final count thing that yeah. we saw where it's like 43 and 42. Um, this one has it less, I guess as well too, but, uh, it, it was a good callback. Um, do, does word spread of, Hey, elves aren't bad. Dwarves aren't bad between their species there. Yeah, I or think so. I, I I can't confirm a hundred percent, but um, I believe everything gets, you know, uh, much better. Especially all most of the elves also just go back to Valinor anyway, so it's not like they'd even have to. I I think this is like, you know, they talk about uh the last alliance between men and elves and dwarfs, like the last time they faced Sauron. I think this is like, okay. We actually did it this time. We all played a part. We're all great with each other now. And there's relatively, you know, few conflicts after that. Uh, so this is Aragorn's uh, journey. So this is from uh, the end of the first one down here in the river. And then he goes left. You know, this is when they're looking for Mary and Pippin. Then they go to Rohan, Helm's Deep over to Isengard in the top, you know, in the mountains there on this screen. And then they go all the way back down to Gondor and going to Minas Tirith. And then over here where his journey ends is right in front of the Dead Marshes. That's where the gate is, the Black Gate that they are going to fight um, everyone in front of. So, uh, and I like that, you know, thought of, okay, let's, cause the diversion so that way all the orcs come out of you know all the orcs will come out of the uh mordor and it'll kind of leave frodo and sam a little bit of a journey where they don't have to have as much uh people going up against them yeah because uh where they especially where sam and frodo were in the in the orc armor which I'm not really sure how they weren't found out because they're only like what three feet tall. Like I didn't yeah. know there well, were orcs are pretty that short. Small. Orcs are smaller, but at one just in general, they're they're not necessarily they're not built the same. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're they're not built the same, and they meant they don't manage to stand out between all the other orcs was amazing coincidence. Just like wait. Um, but I thought the plan was good too. I like that. Like, Hey, at least we know, you know, they're still kicking. So let's do what we can to help them out. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we get some good stuff with that and, and we get, uh, you know, most of their journey here is, I'd say most of their stuff is, is a lot of fighting, right? We get the battle on Pelennor fields. That's right in front of Minas Tirith where they, save everyone uh he brings his you know the dead people that were supposed to have followed his ancestors and didn't and he brings them back into the fold he takes up his mantle of king pretty much rides out 
to the Black Gate and leads everyone there. And I love his speech. Viggo Mortensen should have been nominated, actually. I think he's one of the strongest parts of all three films because he I can't imagine anybody else in this role. And he absolutely killed it. And that speech where he's like, you know, not this day, this day we fight and all that stuff is just a really great. I was ready to run through a wall for for Aragorn. (sighs) It was okay. I mean, there's there's been other speeches where I've heard movie wise where like, um, there's some in Gladiator that definitely had me a little more charged up. There's some other ones, but I guess for this one, it was it was okay. I, I will say he probably should have been nominated, um, because I think he probably was the biggest. So like I said, I was surprised you said Ian McKellen had a nomination for Gandalf. In for fellowship, but I shouldn't be because he was a he was a big part of that, and he was yeah know, big part much of more story. of a role in that one yeah. Um, but then just in general, like as you look at the other two movies, and you think who could have been nominated for best act? Like, how would you separate best actor, best supporting actor, and who would have taken those roles? I'd say I definitely could have seen Aragon uh, uh, Viggo Mortensen as best actor. I could have seen uh. Either Sean Astin or uh, who played Frodo? Uh, why is my brain? Uh, El- um, Elijah, Elijah Wood. Wood. I I I could have seen I could have seen one of those two for best supporting actor. Um, now could, if they would have won, I don't know, but I could have I could have, especially if they looked at this like. Hey, we're giving you all these awards for achievement over the course of three movies. Like, I definitely think they could have had more in the the best actor, best supporting actor nominations. Yeah, Sean Astin could have been nominated, like you said, for uh, Elijah Wood, Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen broke his darn toe to, to to doing this role. You know, he laid it all on the line uh, when he was kicking that helmet. So, but no, no fault of hers, I would not give it to. Uh, Liv Tyler, because she was only in the movie like 30 yeah. minutes out of a 20 hour series. Like one of my first crushes as well, Liv Tyler, when I was watching this as like an 11 year old kid. And, okay. And that's the thing. So like, <laughs> like, I think, I think she was marketed like as being a big part of these things. And then it was just like, yeah, she's only in a, 30 minutes out of 20 hours or whatever it is. And I'm pretty like, sure she's in it more in the extended editions than the theatrical. Jesus. Cause she wasn't even in that much. Like that's the yeah. thing. I was just like, is, is this all we get? And then, okay. So what is, I, I still don't get the whole necklace thing. So is that necklace provide her with the chance to live an eternal life? And if she takes it off and gives it to someone, that means she becomes moral. She, does not have that ability anymore what is going on with that oh i don't think it i'm not sure if it has anything to do with the necklace she does give up her more she does give up immortality to live with um aragorn aragorn so she could have went with them to the to the undying lands that's where they were all going in the last movie and she she decides no queen basically yeah but then she gets like kind of like i don't know infect it sick because sauron's doing something and that's why she's like almost near death in this movie and then yeah. she comes back to life pretty much because uh they, they did stop him in time and then she decides 
you know, she sees the future, sees that she does have a son with him and realizes that's what she wants over, you know, uh, just living forever. And she does give up her immortality to have a family with Aragorn and she dies shortly after Aragorn dies. Um, but they die together. I, I, you know, I took it life. as basically, I took it as her, that necklace is what was, was, kept her immortality to her or something. I I could be completely wrong. I, I'm I'm about a hundred percent sure I'm completely wrong on that. But that's kind of the way it, it appeared to me. So that's why I was like, wait a minute. And then so I was like, okay, what, if she gets the necklace back, does she keep it? Like what what's going on? No, so what I see here is uh I looked up the symbolic meaning of it, okay? So it is called the Even Star. Uh she gives it to him at Fellowship of the Ring. Um and uh elrond doesn't an- approve of that but because they were lovers arwen gave aragorn her necklace because it represented her commitment and never-ending love it's also why he keeps kind of like uh i don't know dispelling the advances of eowyn who's also trying to get with him and and he yeah, so let's talk has about to turn that. turn her down she so ends up with faramir though Faramir, which one is that? Which one is that? Boromir's brother, Sean. Well, Bean's you know, brother. you know what? She she, she could have ended up with uh, Mary and Pippin. One of those two. I thought there was something going on between those two. I thought there was thought there was a connection there between those two. Yeah, Mary and her had a good connection. But uh, so look, I, I get that Aragorn still had love for Liv Tyler. I don't know who I'd pick between the two of them. Like, not gonna lie, they're both very beautiful women. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, he, he's 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 got his love there. I get that. He kind of could have told her a little earlier, like, "Hey, like, I'm not really into this. I can't do this. I have someone else." Yeah, he, he, yeah, he strung her along for like eighteen hours of movies. Okay, this and by the and, way, this is a movie invention. It's not really a big thing in the book. This this love triangle is not really okay. Um, he strings her on for like eighteen out of these twenties twenty hours of movies, which, as we know, is close to a year, right? And then that's not fair. He's kind of a dick there. Like, look, yeah. if you're not into her, like, man up and be like, hey, this is not you know, I can't do this, you know. Don't he could even went as far as the whole it's not you it's me, whatever. But like don't string her along for like a year, and then you know when you decide to leave before the big battle and she doesn't know what's going on, then you decide to tell her like yeah I know you're in love with me but I can't, I can't do this like that that, that that that's not cool man not cool dude. Yeah yeah uh, th- a movie invention I I believe here t- she had more of a Faramir thing going on in the books too and they they do. All that stuff where, like, he is talking to her when everybody else rides out and then seeing them at the crowning, I believe all of that is extended edition. I don't think we got any Faramir Eowyn stuff in the actual theatrical edition. So, uh, you know, the thing is, these there's so much stuff in these books. They they can't fit, you know, everything in here. Um, the, can, the, the like coronation hours of movies. Yeah, they'd have to do like uh, start doing TV shows or something. The coronation for Aragorn takes place in a great ceremony. Uh, in the book, though, he's actually crowned in a tent before entering the city uh, on Pelennor Field. So they made it a little bit bigger biz, a bigger deal in in the movie too, which 
I think fits when you have a title like Return of the King. You yeah. got to do it up a bit, you know. Not only that, but I think they're kind of, I think they were kind of trying to top the Star Wars scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, timelines here. Let me see. I have a timeline. Um, yeah, so they've returned the bag in in 3021. Oh, no, never mind. That's when they leave. 3021 is when they leave to go to Valinor. Um, and let's see, what year was this? 3019 is when they... Oh no! Actually, they they won in thirty twenty. Yeah, they won in thirty twenty or something. Yeah. Okay. So in the in the book, he kind of leaves only after like a year of being back in Bag End. Frodo leaves in the movie. They kind of mention it was four years. So a little different there. Um. Okay. Other characters we haven't really talked about yet. I guess is okay. Let's talk about John Noble playing. Uh, Faramir and Boromir's dad here, grade A jerk of the movie, as he's about to burn his own son alive because he can't believe that his son is alive, and uh, he lost Boromir. He's losing his other son. He thinks so. He's like, let's just burn ourselves to death, and then he ends up getting burned when he realizes his son is alive, and he runs off the edge of the <laughs> edge of the courtyard and plummets to his death. What are your thoughts okay, on this guy? Let's. He's a dick. I, I'll give you that. But let's play devil's advocate here. Um, the only one telling you his son is alive was Mary? Pippin. Or Pippin. Pippin's the only one saying he's still alive. Like, he's the only one. Every, like, it, it appears he's dead. Um, I'm sure... The king had his advisors there to like kind of maybe take a once over and, and do their thing. Everything else is telling you he's dead. Like at this point, um, maybe I mean whatever their their belief system entails. Maybe he that's what he believes is, you know, how they get to their kingdom of heaven or whatever their afterlife is. Like, but he he still believe like he believe. It's not unreasonable to think that he believes his son is dead. Now, why his just son is check, dead? Just check, though. Like, just check before you burn him. Make sure he's breathing or not, is what I would say. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Don't overreact. <laughs> but I would also say when you look at how his son died, because the way he kicked him out and basically told him, like, he wasn't worth anything. Like, yeah, that wasn't cool, man. That wasn't cool at all. Yeah, I, this is uh, this is not an extended edition scene. This is this is the. I mean, it is extended, I think, but uh, <laughs> him plummeting to his death on fire is is in the theatrical edition, and and uh, as a kid, that scene stuck with me of like, oh my god, this guy is uh, guy has lost it. Uh, Faramir was also one of my favorite characters, so I was like, don't burn him alive. What are you doing? Uh, I think he's more of a jerk in the books too, Denethir. Um, but he dies. Uh, he was just the steward of Gondor. He was anti-Aragorn. He, you know, because that would usurp his power. Um, he wanted the ring, and you know, he has that whole fight with Faramir when Faramir's like, Boromir wouldn't have even given you the ring and all that. So, 
good villain, John Noble in this. He's also in the show Fringe, which I enjoy. He's good in that. But there's a very funny, if anybody's watched any of the Arrowverse DC shows, there's a show called Legends of Tomorrow. It's very meta, lots of time travel stuff. At one point, they go back in time to the filming of return of the king and meet john noble and he's dressed as denethier and it was just a really good scene really funny scene so now that's all i could think about when i was watching this movie um okay how about we we kind of talked about eowyn a bit but when she's going up against the witch the witch king the the big bad of the ring wraiths and he's like no man can kill me and she takes off her mask and says i'm no man and, I knew uh, that line was coming. I had not seen absolutely that scene before. wrecks him. <laughs> I had not seen that scene before. I didn't know, but I was like, oh, like I, I, as soon as he said that, I'm like, I knew like the only thing that she can say is I'm no man, because technically she's not, right? So yeah, it's kind of like and, Macbeth, and, right? Macbeth has something like that too, where you know, um. Yeah, there's a prophecy like that, and it turns out that the the person wasn't born of something and was able to kill the person, or so you know, was the downfall of somebody. So, I like those type of things. Uh, but nowadays, okay. this would be considered woke, wouldn't it? Back then, nobody cared, and in Return of the King book, nobody cared. It's just funny that now this would be like people being like, "Oh, you're making the female take him down." But here, here's a question for you. So. Her dad wanted her to stay back because she needed uncle, to be in charge uncle. and rule. Her uncle wanted her to stay back because she needed to be in charge and rule if he like if something happened to him. Right? Yep. She defies him. She goes out because she wants to fight. I can understand both sides. But like her uncle was kind of right on this one. Like, now maybe he didn't go about it the right way. Maybe because he had just been trying to hold her back for so long. But the fact is like, he's right. Like we start, we kind of like our family still needs someone back here in charge to run. Like if, if you come out here with us and die, like there's, there's nothing like we have nothing. And then it becomes like a mad dash for like power. And that's how countries and various other things get corrupted. They go into turmoil. Like, maybe he could have done a better job of explaining that to her. Because, yeah, as we saw, he did eventually die on the battlefield. But, like, yo, he, I hate to say it, he was kind of right in, in, in wanting her to saying, hey, you need to stay back and take charge of things and be in charge if something happens to me. What I would, what I would have said to him if I'm her, though, too, is like, all right. There is no after this right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the battle for, like, Middle Earth. This is it. Um, so if everybody dies on this field, then there there's nothing to really worry about when you're talking about the future. And also, nobody else would have been able to take out this Witch King anyway. So I, I think in the end, she's she's probably more right than than wrong. Okay, but that's after the fact that she becomes more right than wrong because we didn't know the Witch King with his dragon type thing was going to come out there and do that and then get his head chopped off. Like, but mm-hmm. before that, without us, without the knowledge of that happening, like, y- y- you're right. Like this, you kind of need all hands on deck because if this fails, 
then there's nothing left. Like we're going to be, the orcs are going to be in charge and just kind of brutalizing anyone and everything. But you also have to have a plan. Like there has to be a contingency plan. There has to be a plan of something like what happens when. Like even if you feel the chances are small, you you still have to have a, a thought of, hey, when we do this, this like, or if something happens to me, this is who's in charge. And like, like I said, he could have went about it a better way, I guess. And and like I said, this has been going on for three movies now, but or at least two of the three movies, but. The whole aspect of like, hey man, if something happens to both of us, like, there's there's nobody out here to like run things, and then that's how kingdoms and territories or whatever it is, and cities and countries go into turmoil and downfall because there's nobody in charge. Then everybody right. wants to be in charge, and then everybody has to pick sides, and then horrible things happen. Okay. Um. Any any characters you really want to talk about, or that we, or moments in the movie we didn't talk about before we maybe move on to our ratings and all the that stuff. What what ends up happening afterwards to uh, the wizard? Did. Why is my brain not working today? Jesus. Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Good question. Uh, so he goes with them to the. Uh, he gets uh, on the boat. He gets on the boat as well. Um, he departs Middle Earth forever, so he goes on to the Grey Havens and uh, to go to the Undying Lands. That's really it. That's all we know. So he, he goes over there. He leaves Middle Earth forever. The wizards are a are people called. Uh, they're a race of Maya uh, or a Maiar as well as what they're known as. Um, but they're like beings that are sent down to help middle earth in times of need so he really now that everything's fine his his time to kind of leave is is upon us which is which is why he goes um their physical body can be built but it, it can be killed but they do have an immortal spirit so i, I do wonder what that means for saruman now because he did die <laughs> saruman like you know going around and being reborn or did he get punished for turning evil? See, this is this know. is where like a post credit scene would have came up. Like I said, you <laughs> have the ring not the ring not necessarily uh being burned for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, for one reason or another, I don't know. This is where uh Schmeagle hand pops up or something and he's he's not dead. Or this is where Saruman, you know, um we find out he's not necessarily dead or his spirit inhabits the body of something else or something like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So Gandalf is gone. Uh, so really it just leaves, you know, the Hobbit and the men and dwarves really are left on middle earth at this point. Um, Cause the elves pretty much have gone back and uh the, the men have their king again, so they're they're thriving. Orcs are pretty much gone, right? They all got sucked under. Pretty so much all the orcs are gone. That's it. No more orcs. Yep. Yep. Should be no more orcs. So no more trolls. Full of peace now. Yep. Yep. There's no story that takes place after this. Pretty much. So 
that that was actually going to be all, my next they're question. all good. Was there was there a continuation of something afterwards that they just never no nope. uh, we never found out about? Um, I think I saw something about his family that there was like he had a bunch more stuff written, but it was never published or something. I don't know. Uh, it is published. I, I saw it is recently. a. Yeah, yeah. I have a couple of the books here actually. Um he he was a notorious note note taker. Um okay. so he had all these notes. He had also had the other stories he had written that weren't published before. Once his like side stories of Yeah, once he and, and, and like uh origin history of Middle Earth and all that stuff. That's how we know so much about this stuff actually, is because some of it's not in the books themselves, but once he passed his son Christopher has kind of gone through his notes and put together stuff to um, to publish. And uh, some of them are still being published now. He wrote that many notes and, and that many things that they are still able to keep publishing into our year of 2023, pretty much. Um, Dude, there had to be a ton of cocaine involved. I have some here. Hold on. Jesus. Okay. So one of them is called the Silmarillion. And this is kind of like the history of, um, of middle earth pretty much. Uh, this has, uh, I've, I've been reading it. Uh, I've also just got the audio book of it narrated by Andy circus, by the way, he, he has a recent audio book of each one of these, um, books, but, uh, so this starts in the first age of middle earth. Then we have uh, another one called the Children of uh, Hurin, if I'm pronouncing that right. And this is just a story from his father's many drafts, Christopher Tolkien painstakingly editing and reconstructing the full narrative of this story. Um, and it is, again, set before Sauron forges the rings. And then they also have this thing called Unfinished Tales, which is stories from the three ages of Middle Earth. Um, again, they have so many of these. Like, uh, they also have one called The Book of Lost Tales, Part One, The Book of Lost Tales, Part Two. Just absolutely insane how many of they they have. The Lays of Bellarand, The Shaping of Middle Earth, The Lost Road, and other writings. Uh, yeah, these are all that have been published by uh you know Christopher Tolkien after his father passed and just going off of his notes and some of these are also have artwork by either somebody or some of them actually have I just saw one in the store the other day that has artwork by J.R. Tolkien himself and it's like his maps he drew stuff like that uh so I recommend if if people have watched the movies and they want to know more some of these are pretty dense though um, but I found a couple of these books. Like this one's only eight ninety nine. Unfinished Tales is eight ninety nine in this paperback that I have. And I bought the trilogy. I have a trilogy and a nice hardback version, but I also bought one to match like the this style of the uh, current books too. So, but yeah, he wrote a lot, but none of it takes place after. So everything is the build up to. The Lord of the Rings. Has his son ever thought about the possibility of trying to write, since he has all this information, right, and continue the story, or or, or has anyone thought about mm-hmm. trying to the write? Tolkien, 
the Tolkien estate is very, very particular. Like I said, they weren't even a fan of these movies. Which I get. Um, I can understand. Not not saying I understand them not being a fan of the movies, but I get them being particular about their property and not wanting just anyone to have anything, you know, to make anything or some other stuff. So that is understandable. Like Like, I would never besmirch them for that. But I was just wondering if anybody, like if, if Spielberg decided to come up and be like, "Hey, can we find a way to like?" Continue oh, they, these they would never allow it. Wow. No, I I think he is he, he's so so much a fan of his dad's work. I, I don't think he would actually ever want to add to it. He usually is just editing stuff that's already there. I think J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien is very clear that like the fourth age is the age of peace and everything. I, I don't think he would ever be like, oh, what happens after this? So, um, and I say thank God for that. I, I don't think we need any sequels. Um, there is a new TV show made by Amazon called The Rings of Power, which is based more on the Silmarillion and events from the appendices that take place in the second age of middle earth uh, while the lord of the rings takes place in the third age uh some people don't like that show i've actually enjoyed the show so if uh i say watch it and make your own opinion if anybody out there is curious about it i know hardcore tolkien fans that like it i know hardcore tolkien fans that think it's awful but i i enjoy the show and you just have to know it's not going to be one for one it's going to be you know, telling its own story. And it's actually made with the help of the Tolkien estate. So they're actually more involved with the TV show than they ever were with the movies. Well, I mean, I've heard different things about it. I I didn't watch Rings of Power. Um, I know, like you said, I've heard some people who are big into the Tolkien verse there who, for one reason or another, like it or don't like it. It it falls in both ways. Um, I like I said I never watched it just because it wasn't really my kind of thing, and I had no clue. Of, I would have no clue of who anybody or what was going on, so I just kind of skipped over that. But uh, yep. I, I could. Uh, I imagine Amazon might have threw enough money at the family where they're like, "We'd be, be not saying they're they're strictly after for the five hundred million." I think, <laughs> I think. So you know, I'm a wrestling fan, right? And there's mm-hmm. in the eighties there was a guy, Ted DiBiase, he was called the Million Dollar Man. He had I think I've told you this before. He had the best he has a like a James Bond villain type laugh, like the best laugh I've ever heard, like evil laugh. And uh the he had the tagline that everyone has a price. And it started because uh Vince McMahon was on a flight back then in the eighties where you could smoke on a flight, and there was a guy behind him who was smoking, Vince McMahon very weird dude, doesn't like smoke or whatever, and kept trying to pay the guy to to not smoke. And the guy for a while was just like, no. And then Vince told him, like, everyone has a price. And he eventually was able to pay this guy enough money to not smoke on the flight. And that proved his point. And then wow. he created the character. So they got a wrestler from another territory back in the day. And he it was called Living the Gimmick. So he legitimately, they gave him like a couple thousand dollars of cash and they were like, just bring back receipts. And, you know, like he would have them. He's like, you go to a restaurant, you go in there, you just buy drinks for everyone. You go out there, you just 
pay for a bunch of meals. Just be as obnoxious as humanly possible and just throw the money around. And that's how they created the million dollar man. And I say all that to say everybody's got a price. So Yeah, so I had to refresh Tolkien family. No, actually Tolkien family, the estate, uh, along with executives for Warner Brothers, were shopping the television rights to the Lord of the Rings. Netflix and HBO were interested, but Amazon won by paying $250 million just for the rights. That's not including any production, just for the rights. Um, so a quarter bill, just for the rights. And then if you include that they apparently are committing for, I think, five seasons, uh, supposedly paying about $750 million for the five seasons to be able to for how much that's going to cost to produce. It's about a billion dollars that Amazon's spending on, on Lord of the Rings. It's crazy, but I'm excited. I, I enjoy the show. I'm ready for season two whenever it drops. Uh, okay. Lord of the Rings return of the King. Let's get to ratings here. Certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, 94%, 86% audience score. You mentioned it earlier. It won a ton of Academy Awards. It's got a 9.0 rating on IMDb with 1.9 million voters. And it's got 94 on Metascore. And uh, my rating, of course, is five out of five stars. But I will say, actually, after watching all these extended editions, it is cemented. Two Towers is my favorite. But uh, go ahead, Casey. Tell us your rating out of five for Return of the King. Okay. Uh, So I watched this yesterday. I geared up. I knew it was going to be long, right? I knew I was when I was setting down, I was going to have about four hours in front of me to to get through this this story. I knew there was going to be a break because I I watched, as we said, I watched it on disc. Um, but so I would give this, I, I'd have to give this a four out of five. And I say that to say, I watched this, you, uh, I, I put it on Facebook that I was, you know, finishing this trilogy. You saw when I posted it. So for me, it was around two, three o'clock, somewhere in that range, uh, on the West coast. Right. So I, like, I didn't do it too late. I didn't, you know, I made sure it was like middle of the day. I had time and I was fully refreshed and everything. Uh, the first half of the movie drug for me. And I actually like dozed off a couple times. Yeah, I saw and... that coming because I was watching it and I was like, oh my God, I thought there was way more action in this than there's been so far. It's like all the back half. Yeah, not, look, this too, back half. Great. The story, story-wise and storytelling, it was great. Like, I can't take anything away from that. And it's a good way to cap off the trilogy, right? But maybe just how they filmed it or just because it's so dense and there's so much that they had to get to and because everybody is spread across so many different places and you got to cut from here to here. And these people, and you go back over here. And then we got to talk mm-hmm. about Schmeagle over here. And then you got to go back to these people and so on and so forth. Like I said, there was a couple times I dozed off and I couldn't rewind it. Cause, like when you do, like 
I, like I didn't want to go back too far and I couldn't remember what I la- what I saw last. So I was like, well, I guess I just might have missed something and I'm not going back to it. Like I don't know what I missed. Um now I I, I will fully admit that could be me. That could just be me because um this 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 wasn't totally something I was captivated by as far as like well this is just isn't my thing. Like not saying it's bad. Yeah. So like I'm it's it's just the the whole Lord of the Rings things as great as the stories were as great as the movies were and they deserve the accolades they got. Like it's just not my thing. Like you're you you just weren't into the Tarantino thing, right? Right. Right. Fair enough. That's not for everybody. You know. Um. Not once again, like I said, not saying this is bad or the stories are trash. Like I'm not going to trash it. One because there's too many Tolkien fans out there, and somebody will stab me on my mail route. But also, like, I, I can just, like, I'm old enough and mature enough to accept, like, just because something necessarily isn't for you or isn't something that piques your interest doesn't mean it's bad. It just means, hey, that's not really your kind of thing. And, you know, like, you, you can you can accept that. So I'd give it four. Overall, I would give the trilogy, like, a four out of five. Because it is great storytelling. Peter Jackson and the crew... And the cast did a fantastic job with all three movies. And I can't imagine the level of the level of work it took to get all three of these movies to the screen for us in a way that we can comprehend them. And mm-hmm. to be able to put that much um you know, that much information out there. So I get that. Like I'm not gonna can't take anything away for it. So I give it a four for the for Return of the King and a four for the trilogy as a whole because it is great storytelling and there's a ton of work that went involved. What I was going to say is I don't think it's just you in the, in the sense of like I was watching it and yeah, that first two hours that I watched on Friday did drag a bit. It is extended edition, you know, and it was, that, that could have something to do with it too. If I would yeah. have watched the, the theatrical releases, cause I, I think I said this about the uh, two towers as well. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I said that about Fellowship. I think I said Fellowship. Two Towers captivated me more than this one did in that first half. And I think that's like, even as a Tolkien fan and as a fan of these films, I was like, man, it's taken a while to get the scenes that I thought were early on. And I think it's because of the extended nature of things. And I would say, you know, in a few years, whatever, pop in those theatrical and see if it flows even better. Because I, I think there's a reason they cut the stuff they cut. Right. I, while some of it I thought helps with some stuff, some of the stuff is, you know, either heavily talking exposition or just like stuff that you don't fan really service. need. Yeah. Fan service. Just yeah, for stuff fans that's, of the books that they yeah, would enjoy. Exactly. See so, the stuff yeah, from it, the books that we couldn't fit in the theatrical. It's in the extended. Um, and, and like I said, with uh, Two Towers, a lot of it could boil down to like, you know, these auteurs like him or Christopher Nolan, uh, Tarantino, these people who make movies how they want, like, you know, there's so much that they want to put in, but at some point someone's got to break it down to them. Like, look, the longer you make this, the less amount of times we're going to be able to fit this in a theater per day, which means that's right. going to be less money. The movie's going to make. Yes. There are artistic reasons why we're making these films and telling these stories, but ultimately this still is a business. You know, and, you know, 
like we make these because we want to make money off them and there's a there's an interesting uh there's an interesting YouTube series I watched called Half is Interesting. And one of the ones I saw again recently that talked about technically a lot of these movies don't make money because like Warner Brothers they like they did with uh, the Harry Potter series. Warner Brothers made a shell company called uh what was the first one called? Uh Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Sorcerer's Stone like LLC. So when some of the actors and actresses might sign on for a lower salary, but say they want uh, proceeds from the back end of what the movie turns a profit on, right? So the the companies were, were taking a killing on that because they'd be like, yeah, you know, we'll give you 1%. But then, you know, like everyone starts getting 1% or they start taking less salaries and everyone gets more money on the back end. That's less money for the studios and studio executives, right? So then they came up with this whole thing of, they make like this mystery LLC company, right? That they're the ones who make the films, but then they pay Warner Brothers a licensing fee. Like they pay, like that company pays Warner Brothers all this money back for all these other things. And then technically, Harry Potter, like I think Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone had a negative, like was in the hole a hundred and something million dollars. Hollywood accounting. Didn't... Yep. <laughs> exactly. But so like, you know, that's a whole nother thing of like, this ultimately is still a business. Like we do this because we want to make money off of this. So make like, I think part of it, like I, I might've enjoyed it more or I could have had a different experience had I watched the theatrical cut because maybe it would, one, it would cut down to one disc, right? I'm pretty sure it's all on just one disc. Um, two, like you said, it would have cut a lot of stuff. I might've had some questions, but you were here to answer it and it could have been a different experience <laughs> but it could have, it could have just been a different experience for me as far as like maybe i wouldn't have dozed off twice during return of the game but i still enjoy the experience overall can't can't take can't take anything away from it. um will i go back to it anytime soon probably not like you said if anything maybe a couple years down the road I might go in and, and watch the theatrical versions and see if I can note anything, see if it was a different experience. All right. So what are we, uh, we're finishing out Terminator, right? What, T3. What, what would you, what would you give the whole trilogy as a, as a, as a whole? You gave it, you gave this one five. Yeah. I gave all of them five. So five out of five. Okay. Okay. Now having, but now having watched the extended, Extended versions versus the theatrical versions. For okay, for a first time viewer, which uh, they probably wouldn't be watching, they wouldn't be listening to this after after uh, watching it for the first time. But yeah, yeah. Wh- wh- what would you recommend a first time viewer watch? And is there a dis- enough of a, a distinct difference to recommend? the extended versions versus the theatrical versions. Uh, yeah. So I would recommend theatrical is what I would recommend. Um, for just like the I first said, time or for anybody first, first time watcher for sure. Okay. I think, like I said, there's some stuff in here that like you said, even as a first time watcher, maybe drags a bit or can confuse you. Um, the, they really streamline the story in the, theatrical edition uh, even though they're like close to three hours still they're more streamlined than these three and a half to four hour 
you know, uh, epics that they have. And uh, enough that even a kid at 11 years old can sit down, watch them, and, and dive in. And extended edition, I would say for maybe your second watch, or if you've read the books and you're like, oh, I want to see some, you know, maybe you want to see more of this stuff, maybe going with an extended edition and, you know, being able to dive more into the lore of, you know, uh, Middle Earth and stuff like that. I, I still think Two Towers is the best extended edition. I know you probably disagree on that. You'd probably say Fellowship. Um, just from the way that they were able to set up some of the Rohan stuff, I liked that setup better than the theatrical. But again, it might be stuff that you don't actually really need. And that's why I'd probably recommend theatrical for any first time watchers that are going to dive in. And then, like I said, you can, and, and I would say even skip the Hobbit until you're done these. If you want to watch more then like dive into the Hobbit theatrical, then dive into the Hobbit extended is probably how I would suggest it to people. That was going to be my next question. So yeah, don't do chronological. Someone, yeah. It was going to be for someone who might be getting into the Tolkien universe initially, right? Would you recommend going the Hobbit first or Lord of the Rings first and then jumping back into the Hobbit? Um, yeah. The reason I say that is because the way that Jackson did the Hobbit is again, he uses part of the appendices from the Lord of the Rings movies, and it starts setting up events from Lord of the Rings. Um, the Hobbit is one book. They make it three movies, and it's a little stretched at times. But they add that stuff in with the appendices, and you get to see characters like Legolas again, and characters like, uh, I believe we see Aragorn, I can't remember. Uh, Gandalf is, it, is, it, is a main is character. Is it younger it, versions but... of them, or is it the same... Well, Legolas looks, uh, he's an elf that kind of has looked the same his whole time. So you get to see him. It's just Orlando Bloom again. You know? I was going to say, um, is this, is, are the same actors yeah. or do they? Okay. Yeah. For, like they get Hugo Weaving back for Elrond in, in those okay. movies as well. They get Kate Blanchett, all that stuff. I was going to say, can, can we talk about Hugo Weaving? This guy doesn't really yeah. get a ton of, he doesn't get a ton of credit for a lot of things. He's. He's had some iconic characters, and, and he plays some characters really, really well. Um, obviously, we have Agent Smith from the Matrix series. There's this. Well, he's done a couple other things. I can't remember. But he's Red he Skull. Uh, yeah, he, he, he's really... Um, I didn't know until I looked something up not that long ago that he's actually not even American. I think he's British or Australian or something. Um, yeah. But uh, Hugo Weaving definitely... Definitely, and he plays a sinister character really well too. I don't know if it's just because of his voice or his facial expressions, but he does really well with that. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking through his filmography just to see if there's any other ones we missed. Um, but no, yeah. I mean, he's uh, he's a great actor. I really do enjoy Hugo Weaving in these roles. Um, yeah, it doesn't look like we missed any big films that we just mentioned pretty much matrix lord of the rings um captain america were like his big i would say genre films uh he was also in cloud atlas uh, that's a, another one i enjoy but um yeah pretty much just those in the hobbit and then he's been in a bunch of other stuff that's not like genre type stuff so blockbuster yeah. type stuff 
Uh, but yeah, he's so great. For up next, we're going to finish out the original Terminator trilogy. We're going to go with Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. The next exit, let her out. Negative. Captain Brewster must be protected. I thought I was the one they were after. You could not be located, so a TX was sent back through time to eliminate your lieutenants. So she's going to be in the resistance? If... Oh, no. No, you shouldn't even exist. I mean, we took out Cyberdyne over 10 years ago, but we stopped Judgment Day. You only postponed it. Judgment Day is inevitable. Um, this, this continues on with the Terminator story and the story of John Connor and how we get to Judgment Day and what happens uh, leading up to that. Um, I will put this out there uh, ahead of time. Uh, James Cameron is not involved in Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Uh, so it is a bit of a different movie. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was not involved. Or no, he was. I'm sorry. He was involved. There was, there was, it was a later Terminator one that he wasn't involved in. But, um, yeah, there's, there's no James Cameron. And this one stars Kristana Loken as a female Terminator. Um, for whatever reason, there became a big push. I don't know why about having a female Terminator and, or that became a big story thing that they wanted to do. I don't know why. Um, I'll talk about it again next week, but they were also, this was, uh, the, the, the wrestler China, uh, Joni Lar. She was rumored and I think she was trying to push heavily to be the female Terminator. Hmm. Um, but it never came to be. And maybe some things could have changed, turned out differently had she, had she done that because she was physically a much different presence than Kristana Logan. Um, but yeah, we're going to close out the original Terminator trilogy. Yeah. And then, uh, that's, we'll, we'll move on. And I just want to kind of shout out here too, by the time this episode releases, it'll be around the 20th anniversary of return of the King. So look at that perfect planning (laughs) that we just did there. Um, (laughs) all right. Uh, we will wrap it up here. You can follow us. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. All those links are in the show notes below uh, of the video, but also on the audio. If you click episode details on the show notes, there has all of our socials that you can follow us on. So have a great rest of your week and we will catch you next time.